Well, welcome back. Thanks for your flexibility with us in many ways, um, including not being here last Wednesday, so the elders could all go to Colorado for Presbytery. And we're going to pick it up where we have been for a while, the Lord's study of the Lord's Prayer, the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, the second part is where we've been focusing for a while, deliver us from evil. And again, we're following uh, Thomas Watson's book, The Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to pick it up where we left off. Uh, as I estimate how many lessons we have af- after tonight, I'm just going to throw, the number keeps shifting, but let me give you a sense of where we are. Um, I think one, two, it looks to me like two, possibly three after tonight. We're almost done with Thomas Watson. That being said, uh, I'm going to bring a few, uh, a few other studies as an appendix. I know it's not a book, but... There's some really great stuff I want to share with you. I think I've told you a little bit. Once we finish with Thomas Watson, uh, there's two chapters I want to give you some wonderful things from the book, Our Ancient Foe, that I've been sharing with you a lot, been able to pepper it in. The last two chapters are much more about our victory over Satan, and I I really want to end that way with you. I think it'll be a real blessing. I hope to be able to listen to and reflect a little bit more of Pastor Bell's messages on Satan, Um, but also... I was able to read a book while Elder Renner was driving us uh, through most of the country. You know, it seemed like it. <laughs> uh, a book uh, in PDF form my, my Old Testament prof sent me a while ago. And I was able to get to it on, on the shadow of Christ in the book of Job. And it was just fabulous. And I'd really like to just go through that whole thing with you now. But if I tried to do it now, I'd pretty much quote the whole book. So I'll wait for another time. But there's a few things in there that he has profound insight on Satan at the beginning of that book, right? We've talked about it in the study. Uh, But how God answers the whole thing with the type of Christ, and it's so powerful and encouraging. I want to give one night to some nuggets from that book for you. Similarly, for an encouragement. Uh, And then lastly, uh, I just got this book. (laughs) I, I don't go hunting for these extras. They come to me. At least that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, this just came in the mail from Northampton Press, Dr. Don Kistler. Uh, we've been able to support him bringing back Puritan works as he's done for many years. And I just like, well, I have to read this before the study's done. So as I've already started, I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty powerful way to close to. I'm not actually sharing you the order I'm going to do this. This will be what follows immediately. But it's called The Great Duty of Keeping Ourselves from Iniquity. I'm like, you know, that's perfect. And it's by the Puritan John Whitlock. And uh, he has a series of sermons on Psalm 18, verse 23. I will touch on that at the end of this study, but it's just kind of, a, I think, a really great way to apply a lot of what we're learning personally. So I plan on doing that at the end of our study with Watson. Then I want to take you to the last two chapters of our ancient foe. I think I can do in one study, maybe two. And then I want to close with my professor's book uh, about Job. And uh, I, think, I think we'll all be uh, pretty encouraged as we finish the study. Okay? So just a, not that you necessarily want to know all that, but I'd like to give you a sense of where we're going, especially as I start to see the end on the horizon, let you know what to expect. Okay? That being said, last time we were studying uh, Deliver Us From an Evil World. So uh, it's a longer part. I think we'll finish that part tonight. But remember, generally for a while, deliver us from evil. We pray, Watson teaches us, deliver us from the evil of sin. 
And then he has three things we're praying for specially. We looked at first, deliver us from our evil heart, which kind of takes care of the next two, if that's what happens. But secondly, deliver us from the evil one, Satan. And then now we're in part two of what we started last time, deliver us from this evil world. Okay, And uh, that's where we're picking up. We studied the first five things. Uh, Why don't I review what they are? I won't get into the details. I'll just give you the headings. Uh, But when we're praying to deliver us from this evil world, in what sense is it an evil world? Well, the first five things we looked at last time. Number one, it is a defiling world. Number two, it is an evil ensnaring world. It's an ensnaring world. Number three, it is a discouraging world. Number four, it is a deadening world. And number five, it is a maligning world. So that's what we looked at last time. Now we're going to pick it up with the last uh, things that he discusses uh, in terms of uh, the wicked, evil world that we're praying to be delivered of more especially. Uh, The next thing that the world is evil, the next thing we're more focusing on why we need to be delivered from this world and aspects of how evil it is, uh, is it is a deceitful world. So that's the next thing. Number six, the world, this evil world is a deceitful world. Um, He writes, there is a deceit in friendship. There is a deceit in friendship. Now, of course, what do we learn about Satan? Well, we learned he's the ruler of this world when we studied him recently. And what do we remember about him? He's a deceiver. He's a liar, right? So no no surprise that even our friendships will deceive us to try to get us to sin, right? It's, in a sense, that Trojan horse we looked at, one thing he talked about in another way. Naturally, we think we can trust our friends and not recognize they often want to influence to evil thinking, influence to evil actions against God, right? So there's a deceit in friendship, and he quotes... Proverbs 20, verse 6, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can find. Uh, I want to look with you at a couple other scriptures uh, that I've thought of related to this idea that it is a deceitful world. And it's interesting to think about friends being deceitful. Now, remember, again, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I want to say, he says, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be foolish. Evil communication, be not deceived. Evil communications uh, can give bad uh, manners, right? I mean, but it's the kind of people we spend our time around. Psalm 1 talks a lot about that, right? Setting up the whole Psalter. Who are you going to walk with? Who's going to influence you? That has a lot to do with who you'll be and what is your end. Let me just grab the Bible real fast. Sometimes I defer to my uh, smartphone, but I think tonight uh, I'm going to go with the scriptures, the paper scriptures. So Proverbs 20, verse 6, he gives us, again, a faithful man who can find, you know, who can find a real friend, right? There's other Proverbs that says, be a friend to have a real friend, right? But there are friends that stick closer than brothers. Uh, But the problem is a lot of times our own friendships, even in the church, can be deceitful can deceive us into doing things that are not according to scripture, but will convince ourselves otherwise or make excuses and wear blinders to excuse ourselves. So the influence of the world can deceive us quite a bit. Uh, Remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light and the world presents itself first as beautiful. So for instance, in Proverbs earlier, uh, what do we see? My son, be careful about the alluring woman, right? 
At first, it's beautiful, fragrances, all these things. But in the end, she's dragging you by your nose like an animal with a ring, right? It makes a slave of you. So there's this flattery that's involved. Yes, Isaac, uh, is it long? Because I think I'll get the microphone. Okay, real quick, but then I'll get the microphone. Okay, so in Pilgrim's He leads them into danger. Yeah. Flattery, yeah. Well, you gave me a great segue. I wish I would have given you the mic. I'm going to grab the mic right now. He's talking about Pilgrim's progress towards the end of the story. There's a guy dressed in white, looks like a good guy, but he leads them into the forest, gets them in all kind of danger and problems with flattery. Well, that sets me up perfect. Would you turn to Proverbs 27, verse 6, please? I'm going to get the microphone for anyone else who might have comment or questions. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Yes, Gabriel. Uh, Let me come back to you on that question, okay? Okay. Proverbs 27, verse 6. We often quote this because of the first part of the verse when we're trying to help people here come to the truth with the scriptures. Um, and it says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wounds, uh, obviously words, but often the truth hurts, right? Often when someone has to approach us about our sins, it hurts, right? We're often in denial about it, you know. Look, remember David with Nathan for a while? He didn't recognize that the story was about him. <laughs> Let that man die. Well, you're so blind, you don't even realize the story's about you, David, right? Uh, it hurts, but they're from who? A friend. A friend cares enough about you to tell you the truth. Truth about yourself. Truth about areas you need to improve and grow and serving the Lord better, right? But the second part of it But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, remember, deceitful means they're tricking you. The kisses, ah, kisses. They don't feel like, we like kisses, right? That's cute. Uh, The other night, I was having fun playing with a ball with Gabriel and Gideon and getting a little extra playtime. And Gideon got so sweet, loving him. Oh, because you said that? I give you this. And he kept giving us a little peck on it. It was really cute. We like kisses, right? We don't say, get away from me. I don't want to kiss, right? By the way, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, there's quite a few scriptures about a holy kiss. Okay, I won't go there for now. (laughs) But, uh, well, yeah, you can kiss your wife, buddy. But I'm talking about man-to-man holy kisses. Go read John Murray is what I'm talking about. But uh, but that's nice. Kiss my daughter. Okay. He's married. Uh, Proverbs 27.6, though, the, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So they come like kisses. Flattery. Yeah, like Judas kiss, right? But they're deceitful. They're meant to trick you, right? The, the way that the world gets us to sin is to make it sound nice, right? To make it sound pleasant. To wrap it in shiny colors and beautiful papers and you know, uh, but after you suck off the outer layer, it's poison, right? But you've already got it in your mouth and in your system. <laughs> That's the idea, right? So uh, the world is going to flatter you. It's going to help you justify your sin. Uh, 
It's going to help you justify your sin against the counsel of the wounds of real Christian friends. It is deceitful. Deliver us from this evil world which is deceitful. Okay. Turn with me also to Psalm 41 verse 9. Psalm 41 verse 9. But I think one thing you want to recognize is that often the way that Satan tickles your ear with his fork tongue is through the tongues of your friends who are not good influences. That's often how Satan will influence you, through your friends. Okay? And again, it'll say all these things about trying to make you feel good about yourself and justify and ignore the reality of things. Okay? But now we're looking at Psalm 41, verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. If some of them are lying in wait, they may not tell you the wrong things for a while. uh, But that verse is quoted in John 13, verse 18. Related to Jesus recognizing that Judas would betray him. By the way, this is a side note. But if you ever hear discussions such as in uh, Gillespie, he gives a lot of attention to this, in Gillespie's Aaron's Rod Blossoming, which is amazing otherwise. I'm not convinced by his argument here. Hold on, Isaac. Uh, Some will try to argue that Judas was not there at the supper, that he was dismissed before taking the supper. And I don't agree with that. And I think Psalm 41 verse 9 quoted in John 13 verse 18 proves otherwise. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there as a side thing. But yeah, Judas, as Mrs. Renner already said, betrayed Jesus with a kiss, right? I'm pretty sure he called a master right before he handed him over for money, right? Notice the money again. That'll come up. But this deceit, I mean, he's in them. Jesus always predicts it. He knows. Not all of you. One of you is going to betray me. But everybody's like, is it me? Who is it? Who is it, Lord? Nobody could perceive who it would be. But there was one that was going to do it all along. Okay, so you got to, it may not be immediately that they're flattering you. It just may be at some point, all of a sudden they betray you. You got to, you got to recognize this could happen. Now, he also says there is deceit in riches. Uh, Matthew 13 verse 22 speaks of the deceitfulness of riches. And this is related to the uh, parable of the sower and the seed. And some seed gets choked up, doesn't grow long and dies. Why? Because of the riches of this world, but the deceitfulness of the riches. You know, I think you got pretty much two kinds of people in life. People who have a lot of money and people who don't have a lot of money and both are miserable. Because one thinks they got to keep all this to be happy. The other thinks they have to get it to be happy. And Satan just laughs at it all and controls them all, right? This doesn't mean we don't need to meet our needs. We're not, we are called to work. That's a creation ordinance. But we need to be careful not to think that there is so much to be had in riches, whether it's a large property, whether it's this or that. Because the thing is, beloved, if you can't be content with clothes and food, you're never going to be content. That's what we're told to be content with. If you can't be content with Christ, you're never going to be content. Okay, so there's a deceit in riches as if once we get to this level, once we get this kind of thing, once we have this or that, then, then, you know, that's just a lie. Hey, I know I'm, I'm still a pup compared to most of you, but I am turning 50 next year and I can testify. It's a lie. I've been around almost five decades. It's a lie. 
never satisfies. Never makes you feel, okay, I'm good now. Christ in his church always does. Serving the Lord, sacrificing for him, always, always does. But we can get distracted from Matthew 6.33 and get it backwards. And we pretend that we're trying to get the last part of Matthew 6.33. All these things will be added to you as well. So then we can get it all right and then really focus on the first part. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? But we almost always have it backward, including most of us in church. How we're starting to build a life or how we're trying to counsel others to build a life. Often very hypocritically, (laughs) you know. It is not about riches. It's so deceitful. It's so deceitful. Uh, There's deceit and riches. I also want to turn our attention to 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. All right, patient Juliana. I'm going to get there. First, uh, (laughs) I tell you, she's talking a lot. I don't know if some of you heard her yesterday. It's all nice and quiet before the concert's about to play. I'm going to be kicked out of here. <laughs> For, and now I've got to be careful. I put my fingers near her mouth. She's got chompers on top and bottom. <laughs> All right, we'll get there, Juliana. First Timothy 6, verse 10. And I keep turning past it somehow. Okay. First Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, is it money is the root of all evil? We always want to emphasize it's the love of money. But let's face it, folks, especially we Americans, we love money. We love to have all the stuff we think we're supposed to have. And we so often sacrifice so many things that should be elementary in church and family life for Christ because of the love of money. And we're really building kingdoms for us on the earth. And we're not really looking to build the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And it's deceitful. Notice the love of money is the root of all evil. But naturally, Satan tricks us. Oh, well, I'm not trying to have a mansion in three cars. But if you are trying to keep up with the Joneses, whatever that looks like, you are loving money. And you are more concerned for the second part of Matthew 6.33 than the first. Okay, so watch out for that deceit. And then he also uh, quotes for us Proverbs 23.5. Sorry, I probably should have had us look at that in order there. Proverbs 23.5. Let's go back. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. The fleeting nature of things and wealth and riches, they don't last. They don't satisfy when we have them. You can't even take care of them all. I mean, Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about, you know, it's all vanity. You don't even know what the next generation is going to do with your stuff, you know. (laughs) And so often aren't we going by an estate sale and nobody wants to pay but a pittance for these things that we've collected up all our lives and spend enormous amount of money on? I mean, I think the place we can start with is one particular place in all of our bedrooms. Can you think of what it is? Our closets. Our closets. 
I look at my closet and I think, what am I, what am I doing? I mean, especially men, we only wear a couple shirts all the time anyways, right? <laughs> but uh, and some of it as well, I got to notch the belt down a couple of holes to fit those things again. But the, and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be. It's all from, you know, Nordstrom's or whatever. I mean, a lot of my stuff I get, you know, at, uh, at Goodwill. But the funny thing is, is it still adds up, you know. And uh, we could all live much more simply. You know, when you go into some of the older homes, like where I lived in Pittsburgh for a while, most of them didn't even have closets. I mean, there were no closets in a lot of these older homes. You know why? Because people didn't have very many things to store. They only had a little bit. They may have some, you know, wardrobes that you move in like a cabinet or something, but the truth is they just didn't have a lot of stuff. Most of human history didn't have very much at all. We have so much stuff and we're deceived to think that's what's going to make us happy. And then we give ourselves away from holiness and we give ourselves into whatever sinful compromises we need to make and we pretend they're not sins to have a bunch of stuff that is just deceitful. Okay, that's the last part of this section. The evil of the world is deceitful. Deliver us from this evil world. It is deceitful. It lies to us. Again, we saw earlier the devil is the God of this world. He is the deceiver. And so naturally the world is going to lie to us. And here's the truth that I submit of you and I right now. The way we're going to respond to this as we go back out into the world is we don't believe almost anything we just heard. I don't think we really do. I'm including myself in this. You know why? Because I just look at my life. And I don't see Christians not trying to have tons of things. And I don't see us particularly sacrificing for huge things with the ministry. I think we really got to take this seriously. We love the world. And we do love money. And we're deceived. And I think it's one of the things that slows and holds us down a lot. Because here's the thing, all the wicked things we complain about, I suggest most of them could be connected to our different online accounts. Most of our money goes to anything but Christian things. Whether it's a sinful thing or not. We hold back from the Lord. We hold back. Why? Because we give it out to the world. And we throw ourselves to the world. And we wonder why we have so little influence as light and salt. We're so deceived by the world, we look just like the world. We act just like the world. We're hardly any different. So may the Lord protect us from these things. Okay, next thing. Number seven. And this is the last part of this study of deliver us from this evil world. And he gives us seven things in total, carrying over from last time of particular aspects of how the world is evil. The last thing he lists, it is a disquieting world. It is a disquieting world. That is, it's upsetting. There's no peace. Which is why so many who are really giving themselves more to the world and its deceit are also giving themselves over to all the ways they're supposed to try to quiet as much as they can the unrestful spirit within them. We'll do anything to try to have peace and comfort. Because the world doesn't satisfy. In fact, it disquiets us. Turn with me to Isaiah 48, verse 22. 
Yeah, Isaiah 48, verse 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Well, if we're going to be deceived by this wicked world, rather than pray to be delivered from it, and we really are giving ourselves to it and lapping up all that it has to offer us in deceit and lies, then we shouldn't expect to have any more peace than anybody else does. We have to give ourselves to Jesus, right, to have peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He says, I give you a peace that is what? Not of this world. The world's wicked. He's holy and good. He gives us a peace that's not of this world. But we can't enjoy that fruit of the Spirit if we quench the Spirit. If we ignore and don't listen to Him, we're going to be not at peace when we give ourselves to the deceitfulness of this wicked world. There's no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. If we allow the wicked to influence us, we are going to have more of their lack of peace than the peace of Christ Paul talks about. What is, so here's another example. Remember in Philippians, right? Don't worry, be praying. But our world has trained us absolutely to worry and to live in anxiety because they can make a lot of money off of us as they do. And we choose to worry. That's the world. That's what Jesus says in a similar parallel kind of passage in uh, Matthew 6 in his Sermon on the Mount. Don't be like the pagans. They worry where they're going to get their food, where they're going to get their house, all this stuff. God gives all that stuff to his children. He knows what you need before you even ask. Don't be like the pagans who worry all the time about how your life's going to work out and how you're going to have your needs met. If we choose not to worry, Paul says, and instead be praying... God will give us the peace of Christ that passeth all understanding. Peace of God passeth all understanding. Keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then a little while later in Philippians, he also says, if we learn how to focus on the noble things, the good and holy things with one another, the God of peace will be in our midst as his people in the church. So we need to be praying that God helps us to give ourselves to those things, that we would have his real peace. It is a disquieting world. He gives us the scripture. Let's turn there to John 16, verse 33. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You want real peace? It's not in the world. It's in Jesus Christ who has overcome and conquered the world in himself. I give you peace. In me you have peace. Turning to the world, sinning against Jesus is going to produce the opposite. A lack of peace. Thomas Watson writes, the world is a vexing vanity. It is a vexing vanity. Vanity means that sense of emptiness, right? Uh, looking at itself, not looking at truth and important holy things. Vexing means trouble. I'm vexed. I'm vexed over this. I'm, I'm upset. I can't rest. I can't be at peace. The world is a vexing vanity. He also writes this. The world is a sea 
where we are tossed upon the surging waves of sorrow and often in danger of shipwreck, it is a wilderness full of fiery serpents. Look with me, uh, he gives us another scripture and then I'm going to bring us to a few others. 2 Timothy chapter 12. Uh, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 12. There are not 12 chapters. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 12. And I'm going to have us look at another thing in Timothy that I've considered for us to look at before we move on. But he, he lists 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now that relates to the maligning aspect of the world. Number 5. Uh, the world is going to try to hurt us and make it because it has no peace. It wants you to have no peace if you're trying to be in the kingdom of heaven. But also look at chapter 4, verse 10, 2 Timothy 4, 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. He says, Demas has forsaken me. Why? Because he loves this present world. He's forsaken him. He's forsaken the ministry. He's forsaking the gospel. He's forsaken the church. Why? Because he loves this present world too much. Same reason that Judas forsake Christ. He loved money. He loved the evil of this present world. The love of this world will cause you to forsake Christ. Not ask him to help you not to sin against him. You see. You've got to recognize this world is evil. Uh, look with me now to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Just have a few more scriptures to look at together, and we'll close in prayer. Romans 12, verse 2. Now, um, this is the Bible verse on the inside of my wedding ring and Fernanda's wedding ring. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I remember I asked her when we were, uh, when we were eating... Um, and we we're going to have our rings worked. And I said, do you have any Bible verse you might, you might, I had something in mind, but she, me, oh yes, Romans 12 verse 2. I'm like, wow, she's thought about this a while, if I ever get married. <laughs> no, but I, I, and we had it, I had it memorized in Portuguese for a while, but uh, again, notice this, Romans 12 verse 2. I'm, I'm going to read verse 1 because it really leads us into the next part of the study as well. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And now verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. And if you would be conformed more into the image of Christ, Romans 8, don't be conformed to this world. Okay, uh, let's look now to James chapter 1 to begin with. This is something we looked at at the beginning of our study last time, but it bears repeating. And then there's another verse in James I want to look at together. James chapter 1, verse 27 Pure religion. Notice, by the way, the word religion, the Bible talks about a true religion. And a lot of people today naively say, oh, Christianity is not a religion. Yes, it is. It's the right one. It's the true one. It's the pure one. So religion is not a bad word. Okay? Uh, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, 
to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul writes in Romans. James says, true religion is to keep yourself unspotted from this world. Notice that idea of unspotted has the idea of being corrupted, being influenced with filthy things. True Christian religion is to keep yourself unspotted from this world. By the way, good way to go about that perhaps is what is said first of all, serving widows and orphans. Be busy about serving the needy and not yourself. And that will help you from getting spotted by the world when all you can do is care about taking care of yourself with things you don't need. And that often are uh, designed to deceive you. Okay? Um, Now I want to turn with you to chapter 4 verse 4 of James. James 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I mean, man. You know, I, I feel like I want to read that. I'm, I'm going to give you a whole sermon on that. But here's, I, don't, I won't. But here's what's striking about it. What we thought about in the last study. We are missing what the church used to have. The antithesis. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. We're supposed to be different than the world. This isn't that there's a, not a place for things adiaphora, things indifferent, but we need to recognize that the world is wicked. It is run by Satan himself. It's deceitful. It's disquieting. If you are friends with the world, you are an enemy with God. We don't look for redeeming things in the world. We look to redeem the world with the Redeemer. That's a significant difference. I'm tempted to go on some other topics, but I'm going to hold for now. I I touched on them last time. I want to read that one more time, though. And I want the young people to hear this, because you are the ones, uh, maybe maybe this is a bit naive to say, but it's, it's likely you are the ones that will face the temptation the most as you're growing and you're young. Again, James 4, verse 4. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Lastly, I want to take you to the verse that I I gave you a little sense of what's coming, and I'll I'll tell you why in a moment, but turn with me to Psalm 18, verse 23, and we'll we'll close uh, praying over this. I am going to give you a bit of an application once we we finish this study. Before I go to our ancient foe, a couple of chapters, real encouragement about victory over Satan, and then I go to the book by my professor on... uh, Job as an incredible type of Christ and how the whole book is an answer to and a conquering of Satan in Christ. Uh, That's what I hope to close with. Now, I have to introduce this again. (laughs) The Great Duty of Keeping Ourselves from Iniquity by John Whitlock, uh, Puritan, uh, given to us recently by Dr. Don Kistler in our denomination in Florida. He's been producing Puritan works for years. He sends us all his new stuff because we've had the uh, blessing and opportunity to support his ministry recently. So this just came in. I'm like, I had been noticing it online in his emails. Like, man, I don't really need to read another book right now. But and I'm, I told him I'm going to finish the study soon. But that just seemed, that's just too close to our study. The great duty of keeping ourselves from iniquity, which is related to deliver us from evil. <laughs> okay. But what he's, it's a series of sermons. I'm not going to go through the whole book like I am with Watson in such great detail. But I, I am going to bring you some of it, okay? Because I think it will be a really helpful application. If we go away and we have this idea generally and vaguely of, yeah, we need to do these things, even though it's supposed to be personal, 
I don't know how much progress we're going to make. And we kind of got to touch on, okay, so you and I all have our particular sins. You and I all have our sins that are a bigger challenge for us than others, for whatever reason. And this book is dealing with that particularly. Okay, with Psalm 18, it's a series of sermons on Psalm 1823. Let me read it for us. Psalm 18.23, I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. I kept myself from mine iniquity. Earlier, Watson went through some things. Okay, how do you cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How do you do things to keep yourself from being tempted and keep yourself from giving into temptation? I keep myself from mine iniquity. I keep myself from mine iniquity. I ask God, and I ask him to help me Follow through on that with holiness and saying no to things. But in particular, the book seems to be recognizing David is understanding not just that I got to own my sin for myself and it's not someone else's fault to blame. Not the world, certainly not God, and also not Satan. It's my, I did it. It's my choice. It's my thought. It's my words, my deed. It's what I leave undone. But secondly, what he's driving at a lot is we all have, and churches and nations even have, their own particular sins that are particularly in need of being careful about and keeping ourselves from. That's something I want to have as a bit of an application to this whole study, that we're going to be able to go away and say for ourselves, as a person and as a people, and we pray over time in the, in the nation, we the people, I kept myself from mine iniquity. Because there's too much of that, yeah, this or that. Or this. Well, I got my sins that I need to deal with and I need to focus on. And one thing I want this study to encourage us, as you go away, before the Lord, identify what you already know and you kind of want to avoid. You know, we kind of like to deal, just sweep a little bit of the dust on the outside areas. No, go deep. Create in me a clean heart. Go deep, Lord. Remove the idols of my heart. Lord, go deep at these persisting problems that I am particularly uh, tempted by and have given into. Keep me from evil. And I want to be able to say, I kept myself from mine iniquity. With that, let me close, beloved. And Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Now, uh, more positively to study next time. And I expect it to be the only study. I'm going to try not to overlap too much uh, for, you know, have it in bite-sized pieces. But the next part is going to be looking at uh, what he talked about earlier. When we pray, deliver us from evil, what is implied more positively is pray, Lord, that you help us to make progress in holiness or help us make progress in piety. It's not enough to just, please help me not do that thing. Help me do the right thing. Help me to be proactive, right? Just like the golden rule is not just help me not to do any to somebody else what I wouldn't want done to me. That's every other religion. Help me also to do unto them what I would want done unto me, right? So it's not just killing the old man. It's growing, vivifying the new man. And that's what the next study will be about. It's not the close of the book, but it's the next part. Hope you'll come back. If you don't, I know where you live and I'll come get you. No, just kidding. Okay. All right. Thanks for being here. Let's pray. Oh, Lord in heaven, we do thank you for this study. And we pray, Lord, that you keep us sober about the reality of the world all around us and too much within us. And we pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil of sin, the evil of our heart, the evil of the evil one, Satan. And deliver us from this evil world, which is at enmity with God. And let us love you and your kingdom.
And Lord, let us be delivered from this world by the renewing of our minds. In your holy word and by your spirit, as we've given ourselves to it this evening, let it make a difference in us, O Lord. We pray, deliver us from evil. We pray for more and more of the testimony, I will and I have kept myself from mine iniquity. We pray in Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen.